Hello, my finest friends, and welcome to another Rahalastapa. This week, the show comes from Norwich, from the Interlude Theatre, and my guest is Jay Rayner, the food critic, the jazz musician. I have some fun teasing him about that. Look out for that. That was my favourite bit. And uh, he's a very funny man and a very charming man, and we had a very good time it was terrific to do the show in front of a live, packed audience in a tent, but not socially distanced. Um, and thank you very much to everyone at the Interlude Theatre and in Norwich for your support. We did two shows there and uh, they were amazing. And if you want to come and see some more live shows, please do. We're doing a new season at the Leicester Square Theatre, including a bonus one on August the 29th at 3pm. I haven't got both the guests for that, but uh, Stevie Martin and Tessa Coates from the Nobody Panic podcast are doing that one. And it'll be the first time I ever meet Stevie Martin in the flesh, despite having worked there quite extensively throughout this year. So I'm very excited to meet her. I think she's fantastic. And Tessa is as well. We'll try and get you another brilliant guest. Please do come and see that. And then they're Mondays throughout September and October. Three of them are sold out already. A couple more might be sold out because we have guests, including Adam and Joe, David Mitchell, probably Bob Mortimer. Maybe confirmed by now. Um, Harry Hill, Catherine Ryan, and many of the Parapod guys, uh, Phil Wang. I mean, I'm not going to name what Emma DeBerry. I'm not Louise Wenner from Sleeper. I'm not going to name all of them. I've practically named all of them. Shaparak Cassandi, formerly Shappy Cassandi, is uh, also going to be doing it. I think I've named nearly everyone now. Tim Key. Fucking hell, Tim Key. Everyone a winner. If you can't get to the theatre to see them or if they're sold out before you get a chance to buy a ticket, then you can see these shows live streamed. It's £50 to see all eight of those shows uh, or £10 per show. Or if you are a monthly badger, then it's £25 per series and £5 per show. You do the maths. It's only £3 a month to be a monthly badger and new monthly badges are welcome to take up that offer. Go to gofasterstripe.com slash badges. If you want to become a monthly badger, you can leave at any time. But like the Hotel California, you won't ever leave. And uh, go to richtone.com and you can see the links to this live stream, richtone.com slash gigs to get the links to the Leicester Square Theatre. You can just look up the Leicester Square Theatre and find those gigs. Be quick. These gig. This is, I think, the, the strongest lineup we have ever had for... Um, a run at the Leicester Square Theatre and we haven't even booked three or four guests yet so it's very exciting do support us I really massively appreciate the support um it's it's going to be great to be back in the theatre please pack out the theatre if you can please come and see it live it's still best live but it's brilliant to give you the opportunity to see these these shows wherever you are in the world and whatever your circumstances if you're not able to get out or if you don't like to go out you can live stream it. Isn't that great? Anyway, go slash badges to become a monthly badger and you get all the guest names first as well, as well as many other benefits. I've spoken enough. Let's sit back, relax, and enjoy Raha Lustapa with the lovely Bon Viveur, JJ Rayner. JJ Rayner. I call him JJ. JJ Rayner. Here he is. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Interlude Theatre slash attempt. 
Be sure of the man who's had to deal with his son's dirty protest. It's Richard Herring! Thank you! Ah, oh, hello Norwich! At last! At last I'm here. This gig has been uh, cancelled twice, postponed twice, for some reason. I don't know what's been going on. Uh, but now here we are finally, we've made it. It's uh, August 2021. It was, we were meant to be here in, I think, April 2020, first of all. But uh, lovely to be here. Uh, welcome to Richard Herring's lovely Sturdy Tent podcast. <laughs> Though I was uh, hanging out at the North Northwick Wizard Maze today. And um, some... Th <laughs> it's a re for people at home, that is a real thing. Sounds like I've made that up. Uh, and some 13-year-old boys uh, with flick knives right in the middle said they call it Rahalastapa. Uh, and then they took all my sandwiches. So uh, it's been nice to be here. Yeah, I love North. I love the distinction of North Norfolk. That's what I like. Fuck South Norfolk. That's what I say. Fuck them, eh? South. You know what I call South Norfolk? Suffolk. That's what I call it. I read in the local newspapers gonna go I'm gonna have a go at South Norfolk <laughs> South Norfolk uh, council are considering selling off their HQ aren't they have you read that in the paper <laughs> it's my topical Norfolk basement good sell it off you don't need it mate because it's not a place yeah this is where it's at <laughs> Uh, and I've just, uh, I've, been on, I've been on holiday. I'm going on holiday again next week. I've had two holidays in the UK. I went to Somerset to see my folks. It was my dad's 85th birthday uh, at the beginning of this month. And um, I went, we went round and they, went, they haven't seen the kids obviously much over the last couple of years. Uh, and uh, my three-year-old son was there and he got quite excited and he was play, playing in the garden. He started uh, playing, covering himself in mud, and my wife was all like, oh, sorry, Barbara, that's my mum, saying, sorry, Barbara, this is, my, my mum was going, no, it's just lovely to see them, don't worry about it, it's lovely, it doesn't matter what they do, it's lovely to see them, and I, she remembered that when I'd been about three or four, there's a photo of me all covered in mud, so she thought, it's all, for, you know, like father, like son, it's fine, and he was excited about that, then we gave him a bath, seriously, it was just so, just a bath full of mud, basically, and I gave him a shower. It was quite good fun because I gave him a shower. He was still wearing his pants. And then after the shower, I took his pants off to dry him. And there was just his pants were full of mud. His little willy was just covered in mud. We all had a good laugh. It's all right. It's all right to laugh at a three-year-old boy's willy. That's okay if it's your own child. Um, so he got excited. He was enjoying all the laugh. Then he was outside and he was naked because all his clothes had got wet and they'd been spraying stuff around. So he was running around naked, which is fine. Uh, and then he said, I'm going to do a wee! And everyone laughed, he did a wee, and everyone was, everyone was laughing, he did a wee in the bush. And then he said, I'm going to do a poo! And, uh, we, and he's a very, he's very private usually, he has to do, I'm doing a poo, shut the door, not, and he was, and we thought he was joking, then he started squatting down, started doing a poo, I said, no, 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 you can't do a poo! And my wife was getting all upset about it, and, my, and uh, I sort of chased him, and he ran off, and I could see this poo. <laughs> starting to come out of him. Then he got on the patio and pooed. Just did it and let it go on the patio. <laughs> My wife was mortified. I was going, it's okay, it's just great to see them. Uh, it's lovely. <laughs> so that was, that was a lot of fun, but it's good because I'm writing a sitcom for Radio 4 Relativity. That's an episode sorted out. 
fucking hell. So yeah, it's good. He's, he sort of, we, we, I mean, I'll, obviously I'll play him this when he's 18, I'll play him this episode. Uh, we'll joke about it all the time though. He, by the end of the week, he sort of thought, I think he just got, he, th- he got laughs for everything and he thought, where, where can I go from? I and mean, I've been in that position, where can I go? You've seen some of the disasters that have happened to me on this stage, not this particular one, but you know, you're going a certain distance, you've got to push it a bit further. And then he thought, he thought he'd get, everyone would laugh again and just, and he said, I know, I won't do it again. He said, I won't do it again. He said, after two days, ah, oh, little, little prick. Right, um, so what else have I got for you? Uh, yeah, look, I'll crack on, I think, because uh, we have, make a note when we, we started a bit late, didn't we? So we've got a bit of time. Right, my guest this week, very excited. I'm so glad to be here in Norwich. You know, I love Norwich uh, and North Norfolk so much. I hate I would say I'm, I'm raising money for, um, uh, you may be aware I had a uh, problem this year when I had uh, an operation, so part of my body is gone. I'm not going to tell you which one if you don't know. <laughs> so I'm raising money. I'm running a half marathon um, in November uh, for the North and East Hertfordshire uh, NHS. Uh, and I just like the fact I'm not doing it for the South and where I fucking hate the South and West. <laughs> well in Garden City, that's the centre of Hertfordshire. They can fuck off. It's good, isn't it, to just divide up a county let's let's divide everything that's what we've done in this country anyway let's let's crack on justgiving.com slash monoball if you would like to sponsor me our guest this week he's probably best known for being beard of the year 2011 that's right 10 long years ago since his beard was celebrated i think it's the beard on his face i don't think he's been uh living with uh, Either a gay man or a gay woman, I can't work out. We'll, we'll find out anyway, because we'll talk to him about it. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the amazing Jay Rayner! <laughs> Jay Rayner. Come in. Sit down. Jay Rayner. Do you want to know about Beard of the Year? I do want to know everything about Beard of the Year. All right, so um, I beat Brian Blessed. Wow. And... Rowan Williams, the Archbishop of Canterbury. <laughs> wow. He's got a messy beard. That well, should never be I mean, up for No, I, I mean, frankly, I'm a fraud. But here's, <laughs> here's what happened. Um, it's run by um, this guy who runs the Beard Liberation Front, obviously. And he had moved Beard of the Year online onto Twitter. And I just noticed that he'd announced the shortlist, which was me, Brian, and Rowan. I feel I can be on first name terms as we're in competition. And I thought... Fuck, I can take this because the Archbishop of Canterbury is not going to have a big Twitter following, and nor is Brian Blessed. So I swung. Yeah. I swung my bigger Twitter following behind, and I took it. So, yeah. bit of the year is mine, and I a think bit out, of a fraud. Out of those three, yeah, I think well, the other two have just got very hairy faces, uncomfortable. You've done, you've made an effort. Well, it's, it's trimmed. Yeah. It's detailed. Yeah. There's detailed you shave, you shave around there. Yes. Yeah. No, just doesn't. Well, grow actually, it, you know, look at these. They're very. Look at my hands. Yes. They're very smooth. Yeah. I'm not a hairy man. Okay. This is kind of distraction. Okay. There you go. For a long time, my beard only grew underneath my chin. So, like, but that, like a sort of Amish. Like did you, you, like, did you feel like you lacked definition? It was a sort of weird thing. So I couldn't, but now it's come a little bit up here. So no, I it's, can, a, I it's a fine. If, I don't know if Beard of the Year is still running, but yeah. I would happily nominate you if okay. it was. Which is the kind of thing you say when you're invited on as a guest. <laughs> well, if you get a nominee, nomin- if you do, do, do you're disappointed not to have won it in any of the subsequent years, or once you've won, is that it? I think that's it, really. Yeah. It's like, do you know, Rear of the Year is still going? 
I do know. Well, we had Annika Rice, who's a previous winner of, of Rear of the Year. Yeah, Carol Vorderman has had it. Yeah. Um, but I've not, I've not been up for that, which... No. It's a bit Arse sad. of the Year. Arse but, uh, of the Year. Arse uh, of the Year, I could tell. <laughs> Arse, yeah. Not Rear. Oh, well, look, it's, uh, t it's terrific to meet you. I don't think we've ever met before. Who are you? I um, no, I, I don't we, know. We've never met before. Uh, no. <laughs> no, no, Richard, we do not know each other and we're not... We're not showbiz pals. We're not, but I'm not really showbiz pals with anyone. That's no, why this works. Nobody likes it. No one likes me. I, just, I, like to, I like to keep myself to myself. Yeah, yeah sure. Just um, you and 300 people who are paid. <laughs> it's nice, isn't it? The tent, what do you think of the tent? It's all right. I think your tent's fantastic. They're a lovely think... audience, and you can hear them laughing. It's yeah. nice. Well done to Norwich. <laughs> one day they'll have buildings here. They'll be fine, and then we can... <laughs> go imagine that. It'll be, even... Yeah, it'll be lovely when it's finished. <laughs> I was reading about Norwich today when I was going to write some stuff about it and I couldn't be bothered. Yeah. But um, they've got the hand of some... Have you seen there's a museum with the hand of some guy that's been cut off in a duel about 500 years ago? They've still got his hand in the museum. His mummified hand. That's nice. Yeah. And there's a, there's a place that was bricked up during the plague and they thought, cause there was, they thought everyone had died in there and then they heard some noises and they opened it up and they found the daughter hadn't been dead uh, I mean, presumably she was by the point they... She was. She, she yeah. choked a dead death trying to eat her parents' leg. <laughs> 1974 that happened in, so that's... Um, <laughs> 1974. 1974. Good. Um, you, I mean, you're a man of many talents. But I'm, I'm interested, you've got a new book out called Chewing the Fat. I have, yes. Uh, and in the introduction to that, you talk about how you, was, you started off in journalism and then sort well, of... I still am in journalism. Yeah, but you started off. But you were, no. you were seeing yourself as a journalist who might be doing sort of serious stories, and which you were doing, and then you were offered to be a restaurant critic and you thought you'd do it for a little bit, but then go back to, ser to proper journalism. Proper journalism, as I um, said pompously. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's kind of interesting that you thought that, that you obviously clearly don't think it... Anymore. I thought, uh, so I, I got the gig at, in 1999, and people often say, how do I become a restaurant critic? I didn't ever think of doing this job until about three seconds after the editor of The Observer, then editor of The Observer magazine had said, the current restaurant critic is moving off to be TV critic. I, I could do that. <laughs> um, and I thought when I got to t 2009, 10 years, 10 years, good run, 10 years. Yeah. And my other half looked at me and went, nah, you won't quit. And I didn't, and uh, 11 years further, 12 years on, I'm still doing it. Yeah. Um, and that's not a very good story. It's just a proof of endurance. But you it? don't want to go, but you, you, yeah, that's obviously a choice. So you've decided, no, absolutely. You, know, I mean, and you, I, you no longer see it, that, uh, presumably. That this no, I think what happened was that as the job developed, obviously, I go to restaurants and I write about them. But actually, I got more interested in the way food reaches into every aspect of our lives. Yeah. It's not just about how things taste. It's about emotions and memories and sex and relationships and politics and economics. And you can track wars around the flow of food. Sure. Um, most of Brexit was about food. <laughs> uh, most of COVID was about food. Um, it just reaches into everything. So actually, I just really stayed a reporter and a journalist. Yeah. Um, and alongside the restaurant writing and the witty bon mot about, you know, the lemon sole being overcooked and all that. Um, carried on writing that sort of stuff. Yeah. Because I think when I started out, I kind of, for me, the, my ideal job would have been TV critic just because 
it'd be cool to be paid just to sit at home and watch TV. That's what I thought. Yeah. And it was showing my mum and dad that I hadn't wasted my time watching TV for all my teenagers. <laughs> but I, now, I did try to become a TV critic, but that, again, I was too young to, to do it. Is it, is it a sort of... Is it a dream job in that way in that you're eating out in restaurants all the time? or is uh, that If you actually... like restaurants, then obviously it's a good gig. Yeah. And I'm not going to complain about the fact that I am paid to sit in restaurants and then go home and write smart-ass things about them. What I would say is that I am not paid for what I eat. I am paid for what I write. Yeah. Um, and I can get quite significantly masturbatory about the business of writing that column and what it takes and why it's not simply about using words like... Uh, the wife plumped for the for the steak. There's something really weird in local newspaper restaurant reviews. Everybody's plumping for things. Yeah. Constant plumping. It's a, I've never used the word, but, but for some reason that verb to plump yeah. appears in these these reviews. Um, it's you know you've got to work out what the story is every single time. My job is to make you read until the end of my column and not click anywhere else on the screen or turn the page to the gardening column until I'm done. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm paid for. Sure. And so. Like, I just want to ask some obvious questions I'm sure, sure you get asked. Um, do you pay for the meals or do they give you the meals for free? Uh, the Observer pays for them yeah. uh, at second hand, as in I pay for them on my credit card yeah. and then they reimburse me. We don't okay. accept comps of any kind. Okay. And if they try to send me freebies, I send them back because I'm that moral a human being. <laughs> now, the main question, how authentic a restaurant experience do you think you're capable of having, given that people must know that you're well, a restaurant critic? They don't know I'm, I'm coming until I arrive, because yeah. I book under a pseudonym. Okay. Um, that's a fun game. <laughs> um, so, you know, I turn up. The thing is, restaurants are like theatre. You know, all the work is done before the audience arrives. Okay. Um, they can't change their ingredients just because I've walked through the door. They can't retrain their staff. They can't make their cooking better. I mean, they can try and give me more attention, but I can notice what's going on. I'm not stupid. Yeah. So uh, the line is, I'm yet to find a, a terrible restaurant that suddenly becomes a terrific one because I <laughs> arrive. You, know, you can see what's going on. Yeah. Um, and they will try things on. Um, you know, oh, my life's hell because they keep trying to send me freebies. Or the, the classic one is the bill arrives. Most people, if they've got a problem with the bill, it's because it includes things they didn't have and it's therefore more expensive than they think it should be. With a restaurant critic, it's more likely, and it's happened many, many times, that the bill will be missing something they did have. Right. And I have to send the bill back to get them to put stuff on. <laughs> because they're trying to make the experience look cheaper than it actually is. Yeah, of course. And you know, you're, not, you're not paying for it, are you? So, well... Is there a point where the Observer go, we're not paying you for that bottle of wine that you spent 10,000 pounds I work on the premise that if you want to keep this job, do not take the piss. Because <laughs> okay. you do not want the expenses department, whoever signs them, to call you up and say, what happened here? Yeah. Um, there was a review of mine, which was quite famous, if such a thing can be, um, which was of Le Sanc in Paris, which is Michelin three-star. Okay. And it was a shitbagging, because it was horrible in every way. And I was angry, and I was cross. But I knew it was going to be extraordinarily expensive. It was 630 euros for two. Mm. Um, my companion paid her bill and I paid half of mine. So the paper actually only paid 150 euros. Okay. I'm sitting on one. When's this going out? It's not for a couple of weeks. No, a couple of weeks, yeah. A couple of weeks, yeah. okay. I'll give you a preview. <laughs> I have promised to be positive uh, for the past 18 months. Yes. I, I don't think people wanted to read negative reviews. But it was always going to end sometime, wasn't it? 
And that sometime is this Sunday. Right. Uh, well, I came across a restaurant. Don't tweet this. Keep it to yourself. <laughs> I came across a restaurant. It was the wine list I found. And I've just written a piece, and that's been out this week, which um, was about the cheapest price, the, the, the opening price of a bottle of wine, and how it's crept up to like 30, 32 pounds, 35. Well, in this place, in fact, I won't name it, so we can keep it down, you know, keep some of the mystique. Yeah. The opening price is 84 pounds. Okay for a bottle of wine that retails at 13. So it's a markup of a factor of six. And I, I decided I could be professionally angry. Yes. So I'm very angry. <laughs> the bill is 370 quid, and I haven't yet broken it to the editor to try and work out whether I can get it all back. But I'm willing to take the hit, because fuck me, they deserve it. Yeah. That's good. Well, it's good that someone who knows, you know, because we, most people go, and my dad always chooses the second... Second cheapest bottle of wine. Second cheapest. Yeah. And was actually, so do I. Uh, when we were back with him, was complaining. My, he'd been to the restaurant with my sister and she'd wanted a glass of champagne and then they'd all said they'd have one and she'd chosen a specific champagne and then they, my dad was going to pay for it and said, get a bottle because we're all going to have it. And the bottle was £65 for champagne, which I didn't mean to, I want to tell him wasn't that expensive. I, sorry, I, 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 no, not really. <laughs> uh, I did, a, on the, in this place, get the second cheapest bottle of wine and right. that was £90. Okay. <laughs> so it's good to see someone who knows the, the, the facts. Well, of it. I mean, actually, it was more the case that when I saw those prices, I thought, well, maybe I should go and look. Yeah. Because if those bottles of wine retail at 30 quid, 35 quid, then as painful it is, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. But it seemed unlikely to me, and lo and behold, they were 13 quid bottles of wine. See, I mean, I like going to posh restaurants. I don't go to posh restaurants very much, and I always feel, you know, I, it's, I, I take it, it takes too long to get over the guilt of spending that kind of money on, on stuff. No, me. I find that really easy. <laughs> I mean, look, actually, to be quite serious about it, People um, imbue certain things with money. For example, Richard, yes. how much is your suit? It was expensive. And how much was your suit, Richard? <laughs> Go on. It was £2,000. Fuck me, how could you spend £2,000? <laughs> now, I've done Because that I'm not going to shit it out late in, a, in four hours' time. <laughs> but eventually... I'm going to wear it 200 times. The point is that there are a lot of people who'd say, well, why didn't you just go to M&S and get a reasonable one for £159? 30 quid extra sure. for the waistcoat. And it's, it's about what we attach value to. And there's a particular issue in this country with attaching value to food. So, you know, nobody thinks there's anything wrong with spending 500 quid on tickets and a weekend to see your team lose in the yeah. Premier League. Yeah. But they do have a problem with it when you do it around food. And they're, they're both about memories. Yeah. They're simply, it's about what you attach value to. And if it's crap, then it will make me cross. But if it's great... And there have been things that I spent a lot of money on which were fantastic. Yeah. And you go, well, that was worth it because I'll always have that memory, whereas you might grow out of that suit. <laughs> well, I did for a couple I know. of years. I know. <laughs> but now I'm back in it. Yeah. Thanks to cancer. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's all good news. Um, but might I have cancer because I could really... No, thanks. But it, in a way, yeah. overcharging at restaurants is sort because you want to, in a way, if you're going to one of those posh restaurants, isn't it about spending way too much money to, you know? No, it's not about spending way too much money. <laughs> it, you know, the, the experience can be worth what they're charging for sure. it. And if the bottle of wine, you know, there is going to be markup because you're not doing the washing up, you're not carrying it from the kitchen, you're not storing that bottle, you're not you know, bringing out the lovely glassware, you're not doing all that stuff, putting you in a room with central heating and staff and plumbing and everything. 
So if that bottle of wine had been 30, 35 pounds and charged at 90, it would have been fine and reasonable. Um, same token with ingredients. You've got skilled people doing stuff to them. It can be worth it. Yeah. But if you don't attach value to it, and you clearly don't, I just think you should stop going. Okay. I don't think, I don't think it's making you happy. Uh, I think it, you know, the after effect is just guilt. Yeah. And My wife really likes going to places like that. Though, so. Oh, well, there's a really good you know, you know, dynamic there of yeah. you going there, making her happy, but then feeling guilty. <laughs> I feel guilty uh, for a bit and then it's all right. Is it? Yeah. And then you shit it out. It's then fine. I do a shit and think, that's the most expensive shit yeah, I've ever done. Expensive. Wait till my wait till I show my son. <laughs> well, he's he's just show him how to do it. I just show him how to do an expensive shit. His shit was probably made of fish fingers and that's a, that's a 50p shit he's done. Well, is, oh, that, so is that because you're feeding him lower grade stuff than you're willing to feed yourself? <laughs> Absolutely. You're basically bargain basement for the, for the small children of course. who are growing. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. I'll, t I'll take him that place with the expensive yep. wine instead. That's fine. Yep. Um, the book's really great. Um, one of my favorite things about it is it's very short. Yes, yes. Um, I like it. I've done a short book myself. David Reel's book was very short. It's good. Yeah. It's good to me. I'm, I'm, I'm listening on audio book to Wolf Hall. That's long. It's 17, 18 hours long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It takes a long time to get through that yeah, rubbish. I've, so it's, I've, I enjoyed being able to read your book uh, in a day, which is it's good if you're doing a podcast about it. Yeah, helps. Not even a day. <laughs> um, but, uh, well, I was interested in... I, wrote, I used to write a column for the Metro, as I mentioned in your backstage, but uh, you, it's the same length, 600 words, which 600 I think is... Words. Each, each uh, piece of yours is 600 words, which I think is a really... It's an extraordinarily tight discipline. Yeah. I don't think... You know, writers, journalists should really show their workings in the margins too often. Yeah. But you know that... So basically, this book is a collection of my OFM columns, my Observed Food Monthly columns, the ones which aren't time-tagged and ranting about David Cameron putting his cock in a pig's mouth or whatever, because <laughs> there was one of those. Um, but it didn't make the book. Um, and each one, you have to be absolutely clear what the point of it is, and you have to get in and get out very cleanly and be as entertaining as you possibly can on, on, along the way. Yeah. It has to be sharp and tight. And it's the hardest column I have to write, um, but it's also the most sort of rewarding. Sure. Uh, and you can get a lot in. The, oh, yeah. You get a lot in. Sometimes you read one of those and go, God, that was only, if that was only 600 words, there was, you know, it's like when you see the American sitcoms that are 22 minutes long and they've somehow done three plot strands and you go, how the hell did they get all that yeah. in? It's, it's, so it, when, it's, when it's written well, and I think it is a good length, it's a good length as a reader. I think it's a very good discipline. I, have, I, I said at the end, um, I've had to take it out. We're going to serialize it in the Observer because it's a you know, Observer copy, but, and they told me to take it out. I point out that it is, each column is exactly, there's going to be a theme here tonight, exactly the right length for the bog. Right. It's a, it's a perfect toilet book. Yeah. That's where it should live. And I assume that that's basically how you did the research for this, <laughs> through 40 visits to the bog. You're very right. Yeah. No, very much correct. And now you associate me. <laughs> Sorry, that's the my own thousand well, yards. We do, we do. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a lot of things. So, I mean, we're sort of basically the same age, right? You're a few, about 10 months older than me. I think you're born in 66. Um, I'm 66. I'm yeah. 60. I'm July. Well, I'm not 60. I was born in 66. It's getting it's, it's soon, it, it, soon yeah. as soon as it will be. It'll be. We will be 66. And we have similar, well, similarish hair. Similarish hair. Well, are you really 10 months younger than me? Yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, come on. I, I get accused of dyeing this, which I do not do. <laughs> right. I point out that you've got the white in the beard. Um, but the rest of it's just the way it is. Yeah, well, you, uh, mine's, mine's going all the way down. Is it? Whiteness, yeah. yeah. I, we've got chest hairs. I think I wrote... Do you have to clip things now? Like yeah. hair... I have my testicle removed. How did I just don't bring it... Yeah, I had to have that clipped off. You see, this, it's, you know, obviously, it's been a trauma for you, but it's yeah. also the gift that keeps it's on course. giving, isn't it? It's like gallons of material there is. from one testicle. Yeah, well, not anymore. <laughs> And tell you that. But it wasn't doing too well before. It wasn't doing too well. <laughs> Don't think anyone's noticing. That could be on a little. When you get to the restaurant, there's a little spoon with something on it. Yeah. I could. I could do one of those. But do you remember the? Have you ever seen the film version? It's in the book as well. But of Hannibal, the follow-up to Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. Which includes um, the character played by Ray Liotta in the movie. Uh, getting um, a very delicate full frontal lobotomy. Yes. And, and what was brilliant about it, there was a lot of talk about it in the food world, as to how absolutely perfect the culinary approach <laughs> to scooping out little quenelles of brain <laughs> while the patient was still alive, putting them in acidulated water, then frying them in butter, then feeding them back to him. Absolutely perfect. I mean, yeah. I mean not, not to be recommended. No. And, uh, you know, not to be on anybody's menu. No. Apart from Fergus Henderson's. But... Just really, anyway. It's, I guess it makes it more difficult to write about the experience afterwards if they're taking yeah, bits of your brain off. If, if you get the language sentence, <laughs> yeah. screwed. And there's that when they used, to, they used to suck. There was that guy who thought he could treat mental illness by sucking the hypothalamus of the brain out and it just obliterates all short-term memories, I think. Nice. Yeah. So that was. Is, is, is that an amuse-bouche or a, a starter or a main yeah, What do you think? Be. Well, it's, it's or dessert. He used a straw. Took it. I don't think he ate it. Oh, he spat. I think he, I think he spat it. He didn't swallow. <laughs> I think he did. Um, it's a famous case. Look it up. It's awful. Yeah. Uh, anyway, there's a, because we're a similar age. There's a lot of things that are, uh, my my main takeaway was uh, the spilling food down myself, which I do all the time. That's why I've changed. I, dr I ate a bacon sandwich in the, I actually, in the car. I came up um, to Norwich earlier on today because right. I thought I'd combine it with a review. I'm okay. not saying I'd have to kill you if I told you why. Okay. Um, and I, 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 I didn't in there, but I toyed with bringing a second shirt okay. for fear of spillage <laughs> at lunch. Yeah. Um, but I lived, you know, I, well, I, I, basically I was going to wear a white shirt and I went, no, just wear this colour shirt and nobody will notice. <laughs> That's, true. That's, That's good. the solution. Do you, has that always been the case? It seems it's always, yes, I, yes. I think it has been for me as well. The good thing about having young kids is I can go, oh, uh, bloody Yeah, mine are kids, 17, yeah. 22, they're not <laughs> spitting food out. Um, it's never yeah, my kids. Well, they're, you know, they're, we, when they get to that age, you always have that, oh God, clean the vomit up and see yes. if you can get them into bed at three o'clock in the morning. Um, <laughs> Every parent has been there. But, so, yeah, no, it's always been the case. Yeah. My late mother literally did it all the time, but she had a shelf, well, I want to say she had a shelf, um, which kind of excused it, and I yeah. don't. Well, I do. <laughs> Look, I, li I like to think it's an expression of enthusiasm. Yeah. That those, you know, you, you see these people get up from the table and they look as crisp and as white and like a snowfield as they did when they sat down. You think, we well, just didn't fucking like your dinner, did you? <laughs> you didn't like it enough. That's why, and that's why I am covered in dribbles of gravy. Yeah. When my, uh, there's just food all over my half yeah. of the table when yeah, I yeah, go yeah, to a restaurant, yeah. which I've felt bad about until now. But no, 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 don't feel you bad do about it that. That's, that's what good people I feel do. That's okay. So let's talk about your mum quickly because. Um, 
uh, Claire Rayner, who will, again, my generation will yeah. massively remember as... Uh, and then anybody who's, you know, under the age of about 35 will have a fucking clue. <laughs> um, yeah, she was an agony aunt, a sex advice columnist. That's an interesting childhood. Um, and it was. I mean, you know, it was a family business. A yeah. thousand letters came into the house every week. A thousand went out again with advice. Wow. When there were... Occasionally, she'd advertise a leaflet on the page. She thought there was a problem everybody had, and they had to be, or the, you'd get 10,000 requests for it, and every letter had to be opened, and the cover, covering letter read to see if there was any other issue, right. and then the leaflet sent out. And this was perfect pocket money job for a 10-year-old. Um, <laughs> no, seriously, at the age of 10, I knew uses for natural yogurt, which had nothing. <laughs> Nothing to do with food. Uh, and there was another one, you know, I, I could spot the symptoms of the menopause at 50 paces as a 10-year-old. <laughs> useless then became much more useful later on. It was, it was that sort of thing. Yeah. There was one called, Why Can't We Make Love Anymore? Right. Um, which was a very detailed description of how to rekindle lovemaking. You know, 10 years old! <laughs> it's great. Have you got any copies of that left? Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll give you notes. Okay, afterwards. thank you. And there was, uh, there was one, so, I mean, I've told yeah. this before, but I have to tell it again. Um, there, there was a, a guy, all the posts came to the house, and one morning my mum received this cardboard box at the breakfast table, and it, she opened it up and looked a bit sort of startled, and it transpired there was a man somewhere in Middle England who was concerned about the shape of his erection. So we're talking like 78, 79, and he clearly, he'd had to think about how he could get advice on this, and decided that the available technology, a Polaroid, was not the way to go. So he wasn't going to send Claire Rayner a dick pic. Instead... He carved it lovingly from wood. <laughs> he sanded it, painted it all the right colours, as far as he was concerned, and varnished it. And sent it to my mum. Um, lent slightly to one side, but apart from that, it was absolutely fine. Uh, and it became a bit of a money earner, because come 1982, 83, safe sex, Claire is asked on to BBC Breakfast Television to demonstrate how to use a condom. <laughs> the contract for that went up on the wall in the bog. Um, Claire Rayner, for services, use a condom. Um, and so she got, she got this thing, she had the perfect thing. So she at 8.15 in the morning. Um, and when she finally died in 2010, my, my brother got it out on the pulpit as an example of what our childhood had been. And in truth, I think it's the closest thing we've got to a family heirloom. <laughs> Still there, but she was like, I mean, she was a very popular figure on TV, and she was there was a puppet of her on Spitting Image. Oh, shit, yes, there was. We tried to bid for that when they came oh, up for sale, but we were outbid. Really? Somebody, I mean, a bit weird, I end up thinking, yeah, uh, that you wanted it more than her own kids did. <laughs> um, we, we didn't go very far. I think no. we put a price of about 400 quid on my mother's Spitting Image puppet, right. Was it um, weird to have your mum on Spitting Image as a, as a young man? Well, it was, because I went, I was at, it went out when I was uh, in the first year at Leeds University in 1984. Right. And to watch telly in those days, you had to go to a, a communal room. And Spitting Image was, I had no idea, and then that turned up. And I suddenly stood up in front of the <laughs> screen and said, you fucking bastard! <laughs> and he's looking at me, because I've been trying not to let on that I might be the son of somebody... It was a weird moment. Yeah. yeah. I shouted at the television <laughs> and then looked sheepish and left. See, I don't, know, I, would, I don't know if I would have liked it. I think I'd have, I'd have, you know, found it kind of funny. But Well, it was funny yeah. and odd, but also, yeah. you know, it was a childhood of enormous privilege and yeah. got to meet really interesting people and, 
you know, filthy conversations were a constant around our house. Um, Una Stubbs was a friend of my mother because of what she did. Yeah. I don't know what the connection was, but there you go. Um, <laughs> just died yeah, you know, yesterday uh, when we were recording. Um, no, it was a great childhood. and I, 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 It had its odd bits to it, but I can't complain about the immense privilege of growing up with the rewards that brought her and the interesting people I met. Sure. Uh, funnily enough, we tried to bid on a spitting image puppet as well. Of whom? Um, it was a Michael Winner, but the reason was me and Stuart back in the, it was sort of in the early nineties. I think they were selling them all. But the the Michael Winner puppet looked really like our manager John Thoday. <laughs> <laughs> so we were kept on bidding. It was no one was bidding on it. It was like a, we were hundred pounds. We spent hundred pounds, and then someone bid against us, and we and we bid like hundred and fifty pounds. I think we might have gone up to about three hundred pounds. Like, no, that's that's, it's that's not enough. Worth it. And then, and then you know who was bidding on the Michael Winner puppet? Michael Winner. Michael Winner. <laughs> I, I liked Michael Winner. We, we politically, nothing in common. Yeah. And he was ludicrous, but he was brilliantly ludicrous. I came across him once, showbiz story. I came across him once in the Wolseley, and there's a, a U-shaped element in the middle, which is basically where you want to be. If you're outside the, the horseshoe, you're in Siberia. Okay. And I, I'm sitting at a table in the horseshoe. Of course I fucking am. And, and Michael Winner is standing over a table with a tape measure out, measuring the table. Right. And I, I go over to him and say, Michael, what are you doing? He said, well, my usual table wasn't ready, they said. So they gave me this one. They said it was the same size, but it fucking isn't. <laughs> he, he carried a tape measure with him to check the size of tables. Important. And, and I think, you know, I think, you know I've, I've not really put my back into it until I've done that. <laughs> Oh, well, that's good. It's good to know. Yeah, you'd see him around London every now and again, Michael, Michael Winner. The other thing that was great about him was as a young journalist, I often had to phone, try and get hold of famous people for quotes for pieces of, that I was writing. And you'd have to go through agents and assistants. And I, No, you just phone Michael Winner. And he'd put it, Winner! <laughs> and you go, hello, Mr. Winner. And he'd answer you. And he'd go, enough. He'd go, yes, thank you. And then he'd hang up. Great. Cool. I loved him for that. Would you do that for a young young journalist if they rang you now? Or you uh, if they got my number, I'd be deeply disturbed as to how that <laughs> happened. I've got it. I can, well, give, I try, it. I can I, give it out. I try to answer every single email without being too facetious. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, you've had that example of, of being yeah. a young you want, man. You want to, uh, uh, most of the time, I get, a lot of e I get a lot of emails from people saying, I like food. I'd like to be a restaurant critic. How do I do it? And you go, well... <laughs> And then, I, then I, I wrote a letter, which I now email back to all of them, which explains the mechanics of journalism careers. Is it, wait for me to die? Yes. <laughs> it has the words, prize my cold, dead hands <laughs> off this job. Um, I mean, you know, I think it's, it's fascinating to, re to, to read your book and the, the stuff you've written about food, uh, obviously, as well, just because you are such an expert on it. You know, I like food, but I don't think I think about it at all, and I certainly don't. I like the bits in your book where you talk about liking burnt stuff because that's what I like. I just had a very burnt bacon sandwich. Oh, well, that was... Was it really good? Yeah, yeah. it was. It was, dis it was disgustingly bad, but it was good. I mean, that column arose specifically because... I do like burnt toast. I've always liked the flavour of burnt yeah, toast. Too. Burnt toast, butter and marmite. It's a kind yeah. of triple lock thing. That's what I like. And one of my sons just looked at me and said, if only people knew. <laughs> and I thought, he's right. And, and actually, it was a point... 
I thought the only way through this is to confess all my filthy food sins. So the only thing you can be humiliated by or outed by is those things you refuse to admit to. Yeah. So I wrote the whole column about my filthy food sins and yeah. started off with burnt toast. And it ended up, came out, and about a week later, I went to the local impeccably middle-class farmer's market near us in Herne Hill, South London, to the bread stall. And the, uh, the guy behind the stall said, would you like a dark one or will you burn it yourself? Which <laughs> <laughs> I thought was good. Well, it's good to be, but you obviously care. I mean, I don't think, I, and I was talking to the off-menu guys quite recently as well, and they care so deeply about the food and finding the best food, and I just don't have that. Well, they, I mean, they do, but let, let's just point out that in their podcast, <laughs> it's an imaginary restaurant, yeah. and in my podcast, it's an actual fucking restaurant. <laughs> and they care up to a point, but they don't put their back into a booking a restaurant. Well, they don't want to pay out any no, money, exactly. that's the problem. Well, no, we don't pay any money either. <laughs> um, but we go to the trouble of, of, of putting people together with the right restaurants yeah. and putting microphones over the top, whereas I think we all know James and Ed basically turn up having done none, no research <laughs> apart from how to make the best sound of a genie. <laughs> I think I'm that's just true. jealous as hell. Uh, we, I'm jealous of them as well, and, uh, you know, they're quite funny <laughs> as well. Let's um, not, no, not overstate it. But... Um, I well, I think you're, but your your podcast. You're a, you're a very good you're a very good interviewer, I think. So because it's not not so much about the food. The food's no, part of it. No, the, the food is about, merely a vehicle. About, I mean, yeah. we, sometimes we get people, PRs, are saying uh, your food podcast. Well, it's not. It, yeah. it takes place at a restaurant. And um, what was interesting about it um, about out to lunch available wherever you get your podcast. I wasn't entirely convinced when it was first put to me as an idea. And then it was literally the very first one we did, which is Richard E. Grant. We put up the microphones Ooh. in a restaurant. He did, have you, have he, you ever had him on? Yes. Have you? Why have I never heard that? Yeah, Richard? it's weird. I don't know why. I decided. Why, why have I never heard that? I decided not to put it out. I didn't, put, I didn't think he was a big enough star for the microphone. I don't know, that's slightly surprising. He loved mine, and that went out. Um, we had a really good conversation, and we saw eye to eye on a lot of things, and he told me all about. Well, a whole bunch of stuff which you might want to listen to if you <laughs> feel robbed of a podcast with Richard E. Grant because one hasn't been released. I, I have one. Anyway, we put up the microphones over the top. I completely forgotten about that. <laughs> um, and as the food started to arrive, it became clear that he'd sort of forgotten the process that we were involved in and just started to talk. Right. Also helped that he'd been through therapy. I, my ideal guest has been through therapy because they have a particular language which helps them to just access all that stuff. And as long as you've done the research, properly done the research, yeah. I mean, you, you're sitting, what you can't see on a podcast is you're sitting here with a notebook and you've done research. Yeah. Well, uh, that's and you're not you... just winging it. And there is a lot of winging it in podcasts, yeah. which pisses me off. But if you know how to direct the conversation, you can get something. And if you know how to interview Richard E. Grant, you can get <laughs> a spectacular episode out of him. I mean, I got a very good episode out of him. Just <laughs> no one's allowed to... It was It was... Genuinely one of the top five, I think. Was it? For me, top, yeah, I thought it was... Top three, was, top five? Yeah, I thought it was excellent. You know, th yeah. that's not including today. No, of course. I'm not, I haven't yet, we haven't finished well, we haven't. So. We're, this one's not been ranked yet. <laughs> yeah, so I can't rank uh, it. How, how, how does it rank against all the ones you haven't been able to put out? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's only been, uh, there's been two others I haven't put out. Mm, okay. Uh, one was because Michael Evis didn't understand what a podcast was. And wanted so much cut out that he'd said that it would, there was no a, longer there was podcast. nothing left in it because <laughs> there was a running joke about something that he then said, "Oh, we can't do that." And I said, oh, "Don't worry about it." Uh, uh, 
it was quite good, but it wasn't that good. And there was uh, Ricky Wilson from the Kaiser Chiefs, which was not a very good podcast, which oh. I, I elected to not put, put out. out. I've got one that didn't go out because after the, we recorded it with this particular person, I won't name, um, they made headlines by suddenly being anti-Semitic. Okay. So I thought... <laughs> Fuck you, the, the revenge of the Jew on you <laughs> is not to broadcast this hour and a half of your yeah. time. Did he not realise when you were talking to him? Well, they didn't do it during the podcast. <laughs> they, they, they kept their overt <laughs> anti-Semitism <laughs> hidden. Actually, the terrible thing is they probably would say, well, I'm not an anti-Semite, I'm just a very left-wing... Corp- okay. Anyway, you know. <laughs> Let's not go there. Let's not go there. Well, it's the fun. It's good. It's good to know that they cannot go out because then you've got to come and see them live just yeah. in case. I reckon yep. this one's going out though. You think? Yeah, we're gonna have to do something pretty bad. I, I could be anti-Semitic. <laughs> and well, that, that would be I could give it that a go. would be self-sabotaging <laughs> to quite an extraordinary degree. But, I mean, it depends. I mean, deep down, Richard, do you hate Jews? Mm. Oh, it's the question. I, mean, I don't think you've. <laughs> been asked enough or I do you have a problem I wouldn't even say deep down deep down <laughs> <laughs> is it right there on the surface right at the top just uh, always bubbling to come out but is it just right like at the back of your throat just, just on the just edge of your lips yeah, well you're back. here and you know <laughs> but that's why your uh, podcast is good not because you're Jewish but because <laughs> because you do that's what that's it's a hundred percent it's you know stuff as this norm with Omid and you you're reeling off the date of his live at the Apollo, so you'd absolutely know everything about more than the guest knows sometimes. And I think that's, I think as a as a interviewee, it's quite rare. Unless you're a big big star, yeah. you're interviewed a lot by people who there have is, no there idea. There is a moment when I've seen it happen with without to lunch quite a lot, where the guest suddenly visibly relaxes yeah. because they think, oh, this person has actually read the book, done more research than normal. And yeah. can reel off dates and stuff. Yeah. And it's not hard. It's not hard. It just takes a bit of time. I mean, I think if you're, if you're doing like a daily show on the radio sure. and you meet 20 people, you can't read all the books. But you can read more than the press release. Yes, you can. And just work out who the person and is. And I'm kind of, you know, I'm kind of, I'm interested in that stuff. Yeah. I've written profiles for The Observer for a very long time anyway. Yeah. So it's not particularly different. It's yeah. just, I mean, also, I've got to have lunch with these, with my guests for sometimes up to two hours. Right. And often I actually have to come to a way to stop the recording. With James May, it was just going on and on. It was all great. But I could see the look of terror on the producer's face because they had to edit this. And so I brought it to an end before we actually got to dessert because it was just too much. But my fear is I'm having lunch with them for such a long time that I'll run out of things to talk to them about. So do the research and then you won't. Well, or have some emergency questions. (laughs) And then... And I, I thought to, you'd never ask I thought, them. I have to ask you this one. I was trying to think of what the food ones were. Would you rather, and I haven't asked this for yeah. ages, would you rather have a hand made out of ham? Yeah. It's good to come out of the provinces. They're yeah. easily pleased. You can't do this stuff in London. Yeah. Uh, or an armpit that dispenses sun cream, so half of it's food. So you are ha- you've got a hand. Yeah. Uh, you can made eat, out of ham. Yeah, you can choose the ham and you could choose a fancy ham. Yeah. Well, I'm, I, you know, as everybody should know, I'm a non-observant Jew and I don't hold with the god of picky eating. No. So I've no issue with the ham. No. But the, the hand made out of ham seems to have less utility than the armpit which dispenses sun cream. What about being able to eat ham anytime you want? You can eat well, it. Well, is it, is it restorative ham? Yeah. Oh, it'll it grow regrows. Back. 
It'll grow back like fingernails. It'll take about a month to go. If you ate the whole thing, you wouldn't have a hand for a month. And I get to choose, you get to choose whether it's a Wiltshire ham. ham or a ham on Iberico or... Yeah, you can have any ham you want. And do you smell on a daily basis of ham? Yeah, of course. It's, you've, got ha- you've got a hand made out of ham. <laughs> but then you I don't know, know if like you made that clear. Vagrant dogs running after you in search of wanting to eat your hand. And Good then you'll have rapper canine plant. spittle when they when they because at some point you'll have to sacrifice a middle finger to the <laughs> to the ravaging hordes could wrap a plastic bag around it yeah i mean i yeah if I could, i'll have the hand of ham it works as a hand as well yeah the hand of ham yeah you're not worried about sun cream no i'm not good i'm, I'm quite a... swarthy it's because i'm a jew <laughs> <laughs> i had no idea yeah, yeah. i wouldn't i wouldn't have had you on if i'd known if only i'd done my research if only i'd done my research properly uh, <laughs> I'll ask you some new emergency questions that aren't, well, they might be about food, I don't know what they are. I've, really? written, I've written a new book as well. Have you? It's so new that it's only on my iPad. It's not even a book yet, um, but I've got the, I've got the draft. It's going to take ages. This is exciting, isn't it? <laughs> Come and sit in a tent and watch a man play with his iPad. Look, the first one, the first, if the first one is yeah. about fruit food. Okay. If you had to be a piece of fruit, what kind of fruit would you rather be out of all the fruits? To be it was late, wasn't it? How, it many, was. how, many, how many pages is this book? Um, it's uh, 224 pages. But there's, it's I think two, you should make it 223, if I'm two, really honest. It's, it's one question a page. Uh, yeah. 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 Um, I'm immediately drawn to the banana. Okay. Yeah. But, you know, you, yeah. know, you never know what might happen to it on, on route, and yeah. that could be a fun adventure. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I've got another one about food. They're all about food. I'm, I'm a, you know, I do... Th- I've got a weird relationship well, no, with you, food. You, it makes you feel guilty. Yeah. Um, you're know. obsessed with the digestive element to yeah. food, and, but you're putting it into your e- putting, emergency questions. Putting so. into my emergency questions. And I so. kind of love food, but, you know, yeah, I hate I know. it because it makes me overweight, and then I stop eating all the things I like. Is that a healthy God. way to go? No. It's, it turns out it is healthy because you lose loads of weight. Are I you getting want... at me? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm getting at myself. I'm getting at all. Yeah, but it, I, I feel like I'm collateral damage. <laughs> you, you're the same as me in that. Am I? <laughs> yeah. In that ten, in that sense, in yeah. that you know, two years ago I was thin, then one year ago I was not thin, thin. and now I'm thin. <laughs> I had a, I've, I, you know, I've had a, a hip issue. Yes. I had to have it replaced, and that took me out of my gym habit because I was. I had a testicle removed. I know. know, Yeah, but can I point out, you're not the only person who's ever had an operation (laughs) or had an anesthetic. I have had. I I was given a ceramic hip. Right. I am now part man, part crockery. I mean, that sounds. It sounds like they were playing a a joke on you. It sounds like you've been pranked. I've seen it. Let's replace it with something more fragile than a hip. I, I've, I was given... So the bloke who did it, this is a perfect sign of my privilege, is someone I knew when I was a public school boy when I was 16. And <laughs> okay. when you, you, know, you go to one of those expensive schools, you all grow up and become things. And now he's one of the foremost hip surgeons in the country. Um, and it was, you know, I hadn't seen him for 25 years. And I contacted him and said, could you? And it was like, I, it was pretty much like being 16 again, apart from the fact that he gave me a form to sign before giving me narcotics, which didn't happen <laughs> when, when we were 16. Then yeah. he just gave them to me, but now I had to sign a form and everything. But the drugs were better. Was it a general anaesthetic for that? or a local No, it's an interesting one. They give you a spinal to paralyse you from the waist down 
and then um, a sedative. So it's not a general anesthetic. No. It's kind of take out two bits of you. Really good propanol, the stuff that took out Michael Jackson. It was fantastic. <laughs> See, I was offered that. Would you have a ball removed under local anaesthetic? I mean, like, so you can well, see... Well, I have one of your balls removed. You, yeah, I don't, I don't watch <laughs> you could watch me. I'd, I'd have, I'd have paid. That you could have sold tickets yeah. for. If they'd done that in here, <laughs> on the stage of this tent, you could have, you could have cashed in. Well, I, I think I, you missed out there. I, I, well, I, you know, he offered me that, and I could not believe that he would think I'd want to be awake during... But you, and he would have, you would have been under a sedation as well. Yeah, but I don't know. I think it would... I'm not sure. It was great sleep. It was fantastic. Well, I liked the general anaesthetic. It's the first time I've ever had it, and it was like dying. Yeah. Uh, and it was good. It was fine. I was, okay. I was cool with it. It's like I died, and then it went, ah, oh, okay. bring him back good. again. Okay. You're dead. It's, everything's yeah. over. It's nice. You just go, ah. Oh. And then, ah. Oh. Ah. Oh. <laughs> oh, how'd that go? Um, right. Second food emergency question. Okay. Would you rather have the ability to produce honey from a special honey stomach. <laughs> it would be a different than your own stomach. It'd yeah. be down, so you'd, I'll tell you the, that later. But like a stoma. Yeah, or be able to make a pearl in your kidney every 10 years. I've changed that question from earlier in the earlier podcast because it was in your gallbladder and somebody told me, two people complained that the gallbladder does not connect up to the penis. Or, or the, the urethra, uh, and so... Um, so medically, so the question medically, was insane. Medically, it wouldn't work, and it was <laughs> annoying. So it's now kidney, and that's in the book, so thank you to those people, that's changed uh, th it. There's a very significant question I have to ask here, which yep. is, how does the pearl reach the outside world? Do you have to pass Come it see. like you would, like here a kidney stone? So I'll tell you the NBs. You yep. would stick the honey up through your mouth, producing one kilogram of honey per day, which you could eat, or sell to unsuspecting members of the public. Mm. Yeah. Each pearl would be eight. We worth eight thousand US dollars. Yeah, but you have to pass it with your urine via your urethra. God, can we do it as a vote? <laughs> I mean, look, no, don't I, help. I think... Let's not ask the audience. This isn't. Uh, no, look, listen, it's me you're asking, so I take control <laughs> of this. Uh, if you think I should take the honey, hand up. Right. And if you think I should take the pearl out, push out of my penis. Every 10 years. And I, I'm quite impressed by how many people actually want to see me in writhing pain. 8,000 8, US dollars, that's $800 a year you're making. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I'm worth more than that. I'll take the honey. How much, how much do you think you get for a kilogram of honey? Uh, well, there are honeys which yeah. can go, I mean, nothing like $8,000. Right. But, uh, it's it, a kilogram per day, though, so like, you'd be a lot true. of... That's true. I'm slightly concerned about the, the admin with the honey. Yeah. That's a, a lot of, I have, sorry, I just have to go away and vomit up a lot of honey. Sorry, it's <laughs> a thing. And you go on a holiday and, oh, I've still got to deal with the honey. <sighs> so I'm now leaning towards the pearl, which is only once every eight years? Ten years, every, Ten years. every, every decade. Ten years, eight, you know, approximately. I don't yeah. think it would be like clockwork. I actually think on a, on a kind of life disturbance basis, I'm going for the pearl. Yeah, it's the pearl. Thank you. Okay. I found another food-based one. I'm just going to ask you a food-based one. This is a restaurant-based one. Okay. Would you rather be the most famous and successful person of all time, but only after you've died, or get two-for-one meals at Harvester for the rest of your life? Uh, no question, I want to be the, the most famous person, right. but only after I've died. Okay. Not, not a fan of no, Harvester? No, no. 
No, I'm have fine. Have you reviewed the, how many how many harvesters have you actually reviewed for the Observer? I have reviewed none because that was already <laughs> done by I think it was Adrian Gill did that. Oh, okay. So it didn't need me to step in. It had already been done. Cheap gag. I mean, not that I'm above <laughs> a cheap gag, obviously. Yeah. But okay. No, so good. But only after you've done it. Could you're going through them and you can't find any. Um, all right. This is this has got con, con, being, things being consumed in it. Yeah. Oh. I point out this book is for all the family. Uh, there was one. There was one question I put. One question I put in that, I, that my editor made me take out, thinking I'd made a mistake. I hadn't made a mistake. Really? I said, "Would you rather? I can't remember. rather be in a, a house that's on fire or be sucked off by a tornado?" <laughs> and she said, "Oh, I thought of something a bit different. I thought that meant something a bit different." Okay, no, you were right. Would you rather have to live the rest of your life with emu from Rod Hull and Emu grafted onto your arm and you have to keep him moving and reacting at all times, even when you're on your own, he can sleep when you sleep, or have to have a full bath every day and once it's over have to drink all the bath water before you're allowed to do anything else? So back, drink it. The I mean... water is the... I mean, the bathwater would kill you. <laughs> yeah. On every day. I mean, drinking that would result in. Emu would kill you, wouldn't he? <laughs> that was a fucking annoying act, wasn't it? I think I... it was a great act. Do you? I think there's a bit of it that someone put, and I retweeted on Twitter, where he's in a supermarket uh, and, and he's looking in the freezer, and Emu grabs him and he pulls him into the freezer. Into that, but like a somersault into the freezer. It's the most extraordinary piece of slapstick I've ever seen in my life. When you consider it's just a man using his own hand to pull himself. <laughs> to, and I like, I met Rod Hull. Okay. Uh, he was on our show uh, back in the 90s. Um, I, lucky he died. Uh, <laughs> but um, it's lucky, lucky for him that he died. Uh, but I, I, it's I, such a, I mean, I'm not. Did you meet him? Be, I don't. I know it sounds weird. I'm not sure. I not might sure. have done. Yeah. Because, um, you know, I hung around a lot of light entertainment <laughs> yes, spaces. I bet. Met that Jimmy Savile. Um, a couple of times. Uh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Went into a step. Um, the way that Rod Hull died was yeah. so peculiar as well. Yeah. Falling off a roof trying to move a, an aerial. Mm -hmm. it's, uh, given how physical a performer he was, it was, it was just odd. But anyway, um, I, might... I, I do think the bathwater thing would kill you on the first happening. Yeah. And so I'm going for the Rod Hull and Emia okay. event. Right. That's fair enough. That's yeah. a good answer. Thanks. Um, it was annoying for Not us. Not very funny, but... We, um, would do, we had a character based on Rod Hull who was someone who pretended to be Rod Hull. I'm sure I've told this story many times. Um, but uh, in the new series, we're going to bring him back. This morning, Rich, not Judy. And we recorded six or seven sketches with him. Mm. Each week, he had a false arm that he refused to admit was a false arm. He didn't have emu. Mm. Uh, and each week, he would go and do something like swimming or fencing or something, Just playing rugby with his false arm. And his refusal to admit that his arm was false would end up with him being, dying <laughs> at the end of every sketch. And we were sitting on the, on the set, rehearsing the first show. And I saw someone came to the producer who himself has now got into trouble for uh, terrible behaviour. Uh, funnily enough, I whispered in his ear, we saw them whispering in his ear, and then they came down and said, Rod Hull's just fallen off a, a roof and died, so we couldn't, we could, which would have been a great version of the sketch. <laughs> but, I mean, we were sad, but my first thought was, oh shit, we can't do the sketches anymore, and oh, and it, 
Oh, and it's sad that Rod Hull died. He was a nice... He was nice, I liked him. Did the sketch go out no. at all? No. We did, right at the end of the series, we just had the pretend Rod Hull sitting by a phone, going, why won't you ring? Why won't you ring? And No, it still wasn't. I, I, one of the very few reviews of mine that was never published was of a, um, a restaurant called Hummus Brothers, <laughs> which all it did was hummus, which I, I've never... Been, well, I, I don't mind it. Yeah. But it wasn't very good hummus. <laughs> they, didn't put, they didn't put garlic or olive oil in the hummus because okay. they said some people didn't like it. Because that's and, not hummus. And, and I made a point that if you want to know what an ingredient is like, work out which is the best, most palatable form. Because if it's deep fried, then it's not, a, you know, chickpeas, the best way to eat them is deep fried as falafel. Mm. And then I had a line in there which was, frankly, even if you deep fried, you know, David Blunkett, he would taste nice. Okay. And uh, an eagle-eyed sub saw this and went away and did some searching and came back and said, do you think we should include that gag given that David Blunkett's father died in a boiling accident? <laughs> and so that review never ran. I mean, I ch actually what happened was I changed it from David Blunkett to Anne Widdicombe uh, because there had been no boiling accident. sure? We checked, I heard her mum we died in... But the review still never ran. <laughs> it's, the only one, it's the only one. And I was very grateful to the sub-editor because some jokes just aren't funny. That, that's, I mean, that's <laughs> pretty... Funny. That's going in pretty deep. It's going in I pretty deep. I better just and check I, David Blanca has got a relative who died being deep-fried. Uh, oh, <laughs> <laughs> Earned well, my money well, today. I mean, maybe I had remembered something <laughs> about... Uh, poor David Blunkett's father. I, mean, yeah. I, I don't know what it was, but it, uh, that Maybe. came out of the review. Maybe. No. Um, let me see what else. We haven't got very much. It's been so much fun already. We, we think we've got another five minutes. Then we've got to move this lot out. You'll be Get last week's line. audience. <laughs> see if next week. Who's coming to the other one? Yeah, it's the same lot. <laughs> Thanks for paying twice. <laughs> Bang. I've hit on the. I don't know why I didn't do this before. Yeah, you've missed a trick. I have. I'm too nice, that's my problem. I'm just I'm such a nice, I'm a nice guy. Um, I'm right on the wrong You don't have any questions for me. You're just flicking nothing. through the book, trying to pretend you've been... done research. So, look, well, let's talk about your, mu your into music, which I didn't know until I researched you. So oh. you, you play in a... So it's clearly a successful part J of my career. Well, I don't like music, but I'm interested. Oh. You're, you're a man of many talents. You're in the you... Taliban. <laughs> what, the J. Rayner Quartet. How do the other three feel about that name? Well, it, uh, it's, it's a fair question. And we, the first time we had a gig booked, they kind of said, what are you called? Yeah. And, I, uh, and I always hated those kind of jazz names. Uh, Whiplash or, you know, the real ones, uh, Weather Report, Shack Attack, they're all a bit weird. Um, so the classic things, you put your name on it. And they all just looked at me and said, well, they're not coming because your our name's on, are they? So that's how it happened. Okay. So it's, it's my fault. And were they coming because your name was on there? Oh, absolutely. They I are want to always see the sold out. <laughs> and you will find links to all my jazz gigs on jrainer.co.uk. Fuck you. Okay. <laughs> what is it about jazz that appeals to you? Because it does not appeal to me. Well, one of the, one of the great things, I think, of getting into something like this when you're a bit older is the realisation that you don't give a flying fuck whether someone else doesn't like it. Okay. And I don't. Okay. It's not my job to educate or enthuse you okay. at all. I really love it, and all the people who love jazz like what we do, and we'll never play massive rooms. I mean, we've gone up to six, seven hundred seaters. Um, if you like it, that's great. And if you don't, as I say, you'll live a pale, etiolated, impoverished life. But that's <laughs> not, you know, not my problem. Okay. I mean, I kind of, I really do actually mean that, that I'm not on a mission to educate or enthuse any, anyone. If you like what we do, that's great. And if you don't, 
other musicians are available. But in a way, as a critic, yeah. that's quite an odd way to respond, isn't it? Because no. you, you criticise other people. Yeah, no, and I get, <laughs> um, you know, my, I've, I've written a dozen books, I do live shows, I do jazz, and I get criticised, uh, you know, I get reviewed. And yeah. that's absolutely fine. Um, and I tend to... The thing that I clocked was that if you take a very positive review seriously, as in someone says, Jerry Renner is the best thing since uh, whatever, um, and if you take all that positive affirmation, then you also have to absorb all the negative. Mm -hmm. um, how restaurants deal with what I write is entirely up to them. But my approach to it is I may look at it and think, is this good for business or bad for business? But I desperately try not to let it impinge upon how I feel about myself. No, it's, 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 it's interesting to be doing, to have two things, yeah, two yeah. or three things. And I, I also think it's useful that yeah. when people say, do you know what it's like to be reviewed? I, oh, yes. <laughs> you know, I've had those shitbagging yeah. book reviews, um, and uh, everybody's a critic on Twitter, and there's more than enough people to tell me what a wanker they think I am, and that's yeah. fine. But when I write a restaurant review, I hope I do it with enough conviction and authority that they just have to live with it. Yeah. You know, if I say an £84 wine was actually £13 a bottle, I've checked. <laughs> yeah. The thing with comedy is, regardless of the, uh, the critics, you know if it's going well or not, because yeah. the audience are laughing. How do you know if you're doing jazz well or badly? <laughs> exactly the same way. <laughs> do you keep selling tickets that people yeah. come up afterwards and tell you that... I'm, I'm not, you see, I'm not buying into this at all. They're, um, they, they tell well, you they enjoyed it. They applaud. <laughs> uh, sometimes they get up and dance. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, they dancing do. is they a way dance. Dancing is a good sign. It's quite hard to dance to jazz, I'd imagine. It depends what kind of jazz you're listening to. Keep going, Richard. Dig, dig, dig. <laughs> I'm just enjoying the fact that you're slightly annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> no, I... I as I say, if I was like, if I if I was making my living just from jazz, yeah. Christ, I'd make a very very scant <laughs> living. Um, I suspect I would be desperately trying to convince you of the virtue of everything we do. Yeah, um, but I'm not. But I it's think a joyous sideline, and I that's think fine. It's also true of you know getting a bit older as well. Is you you kind of re you know you realise not everything's for everyone. It's sort yeah. of fine. that's the thing with Twitter when the people go, I don't like what you're doing. You go. Okay, don't, yeah. don't, don't, don't follow me. Don't, yeah, you don't, don't have to read. <laughs> I mean, you know, part of the writing for The Observer, writing The Observer's restaurant column, is the comment section underneath. And I am constantly mystified by the people who turn up furious with me before they've even read a word, <laughs> livid by the time they've read it, and then comment about how furious and livid they are. And you think, why are you doing this to yourself? <laughs> I actually think you really like reading me and being livid, yeah. and that I'm giving you pleasure. I'm here to serve. Yes, well, that's, that's a good way of looking at it. Um, and we're going to have to wrap up, but oh. I was going to ask you a question about public school, but do you, the, I will ask you it, and yeah. we'll just you know, fuck the second audience, right? Apart yeah. from the ones who are in here already. <laughs> um, there, there's sort of recently been that article about, um, you know, how we're governed by public school boys, mm. and, but they, it seems to me it's quite... Did you have a nice time at public school? Oh, they threw me out. Okay. <laughs> um, but I went to one of those, you know, I went to one of those full of high-achieving Jews, right. of the sort that you love. Um, I, went to the same, I went to the same school as David Baddiel. He okay. was the year above me, and Sasha Baron Cohen and Matt Lucas. So, uh, I mean, it was horrible um, <laughs> in every way. I, di I didn't like it particularly. I remember being, 
I still nurse the resentment that I was told by one particular teacher called Michael Lomprier. I like to name check him right <laughs> yeah. now. Uh, that I couldn't work on the school magazine because it was only for those who had a, realist, a realistic prospect of getting into journalism. <laughs> okay. What a wanker. <laughs> um, and I nurse that. I really do. I think I also look at those teachers, those people who went into teaching in public schools thinking, you thought that was the best way to use your skills, to teach a lot of overprivileged, overachieving kids who would have been fine anywhere. Yeah. Uh, if you really cared about education, you'd have gone and tried to educate people who really needed you, but they didn't. Okay. Am I pandering to the audience? <laughs> But, yeah, but it, I, mean, I mean that. It feels like you came from a very close family, and, 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 it, and what reading the article I read recently about it, but having read quite a lot about it, it seems like a lot of a lot of young people feel abandoned by being sent to public school, and then and then become prime well, minister. I, I think that piece was specifically about yeah. boarding schools. Yeah, and but you, you have to. I, well, I wasn't boarding, and I've always, you know, as a parent myself, you think. What is in your mind when you go? Well, darling, you're eight, and you no longer need your parents. So yeah. fuck off. I, what? It's, it is not at all strange that Boris Johnson is a weird, dysfunctional, <laughs> fucked up twat. Because his parents said, we don't want you here anymore, go away. Yeah, yeah. That was cheap, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it was cheap, but it's, I mean, it's sort of interesting. The, I'm watching Succession and you watch The Crown and you see all these people in these amazingly mm. privileged positions and they're living, and admittedly one of those is complete fiction, but based on mm. some people, maybe. Uh, and, you know, they, they get to a position of power, and they, but, there's, but there's, no, there's no sort of affection and love and you're, you're, it's all about maintaining They, they your lack position. an emotional, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I don't know if it's this Emotional rich people just trying to make us feel sorry for them, so we'll leave yeah. them alone, and they're actually having a very happy life. Would you think those those people are all kind of desperately unhappy? I think they're all desperately unhappy. Yeah. Deep down, I think yeah. they they are there. They are you know employment for therapists for decades to come. Sure, and the, and Michael Gove as well. <laughs> Michael employment for Michael Gove. No, I think uh, what I mean is I don't think he went to a public school. Okay. But I, I think he hates. I think he hates himself, but it doesn't matter if he doesn't because the rest of us hate him. Anyway, so. <laughs> Unless you love Michael Gove, in which case... <laughs> maybe, maybe somewhere in Norwich there's some love. For... No. no. Uh, they've got the hand of a man in a jewel that they keep in a museum and they, even they can't love. They locked a girl in a house until she ate her parents and even they can't love. Michael Cope. Look, Jay, it's been lovely to have you. We're going to have to go because we've got we another are. show to do, but absolutely delightful to meet you. Thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for the amazing Jay Rayner. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. We'll see you if you're coming for the next one. Bye. You have been listening to Wahalastapur with me, Richard Herring, and my guest, Jay Rayner. Thank you very much, too. Scant regard for providing this music. Uh, I'm indebted to Chris Evans, not that one, um, for all his hard work in putting this together. I'm very much indebted to George, the incompetent sound man who travels all around the country recording these even when we can't film them. He's not at all that incompetent. He's pretty good. He's letting us down. Uh, I am indebted to everyone at the Interlude Theatre and the, and the Norwich Theatre. I've forgotten the name of the Norwich Theatre, um, which is ridiculous. Um, and uh, you know who you are. Thank you very much for having me. I'm delighted we managed to get these gigs done after having to postpone them once, twice, three times, whatever, however many times it was. This is a Sky Potato, the Norwich Playhouse. 
This is a sky potato fuzz. If you don't think about it, it comes to you. That's what happens when you're my age. This is a Sky Potato Fuzz and GoFasterStripe.com production. Become a monthly badger, GoFasterStripe.com slash badges. You get backstage interviews, you get stand-up shows for free. You get a badge and a membership card with a secret code on it. It's incredible. You get part 50% off the live streams of Rahalastapa. You get to find out who all the guests are first. You get ad-free podcasts. It's fucking insane why it's three pounds a month you can pay more if you want but it's well worth three pounds a month even just for that saving on the live streams thanks for listening everyone we'll see you next week back at the interlude theater in our rich my finest friend.